0: Good morning, Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Bunganyi in Washington. Today is Monday, May the 23rd. And here are some of the stories we are covering for you this morning. Somalia's new president is starting his four-year term, facing familiar top issues, such as the country's political divide and rising attacks by al-Qaeda-linked insurgent group al-Shabaab.
1: Another challenge is, as I said, is the security. The security is a a major problem, and Shabab is a major problem. Their demand is to get rid of the foreign forces.
0: A Nigerian high court has sentenced the Danish national to death by hanging.
2: Nielsen has been standing trial since June 2018 after he was arrested on charges of murdering his wife, Zainab, and their daughter in their home in Lagos.
0: In Ghana, economists are calling for stronger fiscal measures to respond to rising inflation in West Africa's second largest economy. We'll have those stories plus sports coming up right here on Debreak Africa. Stay tuned. And for our top stories, Somalia's new president is starting his four-year term, facing familiar top issues such as the country's political divide and rising attacks by al-Qaeda-linked insurgent group al-Shabaab. Ahmed Mohammed reports from the capital,
3: Mogadishu. As he settles into office, President Hassan Sheikh Mohammed faces a politically divided nation, high public expectations, and the specter of al-Shabaab, which has remained a potent threat since it emerged in 2007, Fauzia Yusuf is a former deputy prime minister who ran for president in the just concluded elections. She says the new president has the uphill task of constituting a competent government given the many competing interests.
1: Since our system is currently based on tribal 4.5, people are expecting him to choose people from tribes, from different tribes. So one of the challenges is putting together a, a, a very strong uh, cabinet which are technocrats which are not based on tribal but on meritocracy.
3: The distribution of power in Somalia is on a clan-based system locally known as the 4.5 system where majority clans are allocated majority seats in parliament while the smaller clans group together get the remainder in the coming days. The president is expected to name a new prime minister who will need parliamentary approval before proceeding to name a cabinet. Besides tackling the political question, President Mahmoud must contend with the security threats posed by the militant group al-Shabaab. According to Abdurrahman sheik Azari, the director of the Mogadishu-based Centre for Analysis and Strategic Studies, the new president, like his predecessor, does not have much leeway in dealing with al-Shabaab.
0: Azari says,
3: of course, al-Shabaab is fighting and attacks will continue as long as they are able or capable of carrying out attacks. Azari says, he thinks the opportunities for the president are slim because al-Shabaab is a terrorist organization, an international organization and a regional organization And this means they will not surrender easily. Azari argues that despite the lack of incentive from a Shabab to negotiate due to its successful attacks in recent months, dialogue is still a possible option. He says, I think the government with the help of international and regional partners Can negotiate indirectly with the sections of the Shabab leadership who may want to surrender or oppose the organization. Yusuf too shares a similar view that the new president may need to consider taking a different approach by opening the lines of communication with the militant group.
1: Another challenge is, as I said, is the security. The security is a a major problem. Al Shabab is a major problem, and uh, there demand is to get rid of the foreign forces, in other words, the ATmis or the troops coming from the contributing ca- countries. So dealing with them is not an easy matter. Never in the world has a, as, as, a, as a rebellions or terrorist groups won, but they still weaken any administration. So I think the best thing he can do is to start negotiating with them. And deal with the hardcore groups.
3: By ATMIS, Yusuf was referring to the UN authorized African Union transition mission in Somalia. Its mandate includes reducing the threat posed by Al-Shabaab and conducting a phased handover of security responsibilities to Somalia. ATMIS is expected to end its mission in 2024. Having had the packing of most opposition candidates during May 2015 for President Mahmoud, now has to avoid a fallout while ensuring the inputs in place a competent team to deliver his election promises analysts say the new leader could take advantage of the planned return of u.s forces into the country to poster the war against the shabaab and strengthen the national army for now the country is waiting to see who president mahmoud will pick as prime minister ahmed Mohammed, for vow news Mugadishu, Somalia. A
0: Nigerian high court has sentenced a Danish national, Peter Nielsen, to death by hanging. Nielsen was convicted and sentenced Friday for the murder of his Nigerian wife and their young daughter in 2018. Rights activists who have protested the murder praised the court's ruling. Timothy Obiezu reports from Abuja.
2: Justice Bolanle Okikio Gile of the Lagos High Court announced the verdict and the sentence for 54-year-old Peter Nielsen Friday at a hearing that lasted more than five hours. The justice said evidence from an autopsy revealed that Nielsen's wife Zainab and their three-year-old daughter died of head injuries and suffocation. She said analysis of Zainab's fingertips showed she had struggled to free herself from her killer's grip and the traces of DNA found on her skin were consistent with Nielsen's. Nielsen has been standing trial since June 2018 after he was arrested on charges of murdering his wife, Zainab, and their daughter in their home in Lagos. Nielsen pleaded not guilty to the charges. The killing triggered criticism from women's rights groups and they have been monitoring the progress of the trial since then activist Josephine Oke Odumakin, president of Women Arise Initiative, attended Friday's session.
4: It's going to serve as a reference point. It's also going to uh, protect women the more and uh, as much as possible reduce gender-based violence, which is on the rise. And I'm sure that with this landmark judgment, a lot of people have a think.
2: Okei Odumaki noted the bodies of Nielsen's wife and daughter have remained in the mortuary since their death four years ago. Nigerian courts continue to issue death sentences in cases such as killings, kidnappings, or armed robbery, despite a growing debate on whether or not to abolish the measure. Earlier this year, some advocates urged Nigerian authorities to annul the death penalty— Human rights lawyer Martin Obono says strict measures like the death penalty are helpful in deterring crimes. In terms of deterrence, I think um, a lot of people will have killed people if they knew that they would get get away with it and just have life imprisonment. And maybe one day the governor will come and pardon you or the president will pardon you. Fifty-four countries around the world, including Nigeria, allow the death penalty. Nigerian authorities say there are more than 3,000 prisoners awaiting execution, the highest number in Africa. But the last time an execution was carried out in Nigeria was in 2016. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. Debrek
0: Africa continues. In Ghana, the central bank has started a program to purchase local gold in bulk. Bank authorities said that this is an effort to raise the gold component of its reserves as a way to strengthen the local currency known as the CD, which has depreciated about 20% against the dollar. Ghana, just like many other countries on the continent, has been impacted by several current global events outside of its control, including the war in Ukraine, high oil prices and supply chain disruptions due to the pandemic. Economists are calling for stronger fiscal measures to respond to rising inflation in West Africa's second-largest economy. They say that even though the country has seen some relative growth compared to the previous two years, currency depreciation is having an impact on the projected economic growth of the country as local consumers are spending more to buy less. Professor John Gassi is the dean of University of Cape Coast School of Business. In the first part of our two-part conversation. He tells me that the monetary policy measures taken by the Bank of Ghana may not be enough to make up for the issues affecting the larger economy.
5: Just like uh, what is happening globally, we have uh, been experiencing upward development in inflation. Uh, That translates in food prices going up above the expectation of many Ghanians. Uh, We have also seen uh, the policy rates announced by the Bank of Ghana gone up, leading to increase in lending rates. Uh, in addition to that, we also have a liquidity challenge within the banking sector uh, because of the monetary policy measures taken by the Bank of Ghana, for which part of the deposit uh, that is being kept by the Bank of Ghana, we call the cash reserve, has been increased Uh, From around 8% uh, during the pandemic to around 12%, uh, making it difficult for the financial institutions to have uh, funds available to lend to people, even at a high interest rate.
0: Last month, Ghana's inflation rate climbed to the highest level in more than 18 years, creating more complications for the struggling economy. Dr. John Gassi says that this has led to an increase in the
5: cost of living in the country. Uh, we have high interest rate commitment uh, a lot within the country and outside the country that is denominated in foreign currency putting pressure on our forests and uh, depreciation has actually uh, been pronounced uh, in recent times and making general cost of living cost of doing business uh very difficult in the country uh we can admit that growth has resumed uh, especially in 2021 and the first quarter of 2022 we have seen remarkable growth but that is not enough to accommodate the problem of the ghanian economy so with the announcement of this growth, uh, we are still uh, within the challenge that we are experiencing over some time now
0: now, we saw that uh, the, the, the valuation of the Ghana city uh, to the dollar uh, has gone down, inflation is high. Did some of these issues uh, start before the pandemic? Is the economy suffering due to the pandemic, or is just general mismanagement?
5: Well, we consider the pandemic to aggravate the already uh, difficult situation that we were experiencing before the pandemic. Uh, If we take our fiscal measures uh, and their indicators, uh, they were not the best before the pandemic. Uh, So we consider the pandemic to aggravate the situation. We do not treat the pandemic at the cost of economic development uh, that we are experiencing in the country.
0: Now, in in mid, uh, I believe, mid-2020, the parliament in Ghana suspended the fiscal responsibility rule
5: uh, how did that impact the economy? Well, the impact of the economy has been very negative. But there is a history to that. We put in place the fiscal responsibility act in 2018. Again, maximum deficit at 5%. But in the reality is that by 2019, our fiscal deficit the deficit recorded as reported by the country to the IMF was 7.5, which meant that we violated and breached the fiscal responsibility at uh, a year into operation before the COVID uh, emergence. So the declaration that we suspended the fiscal responsibility, at, which is a provision uh, in the fiscal responsibility law, that when pandemic and the some of these unexpected natural disasters and co-happens, we can activate. But the reality is that we bring the fiscal responsibility up uh, before the pandemic. So, as a result, it gives us some license to borrow beyond what was actually uh, to be the amount of money needed to resolve COVID-related matters. We borrow in excess of 73 billion. Uh, Ghana cities in 2020, but the account made by the, uh, the, the, the government to the people of Ghana is to the effect that we spend 8.1 billion Ghana cities on COVID-related activities. So, which meant that uh, we have borrowed far in excess, and uh, when we look at the ratios, COVID was not the problem for our fiscal distortion, but it is just lack of prudence and lack of discipline, that actually caused
0: that. That was Professor John Gatti. He's the dean of the University of Cape Coast School of Business in Ghana. Tune in for the second part of our conversation later this week. You're listening to The Break Africa on The Voice of America. Malawi is facing acute shortages of foreign exchange currency, forcing two international airlines to suspend some of their services in the country. As Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre, the situation has negatively affected the operations of many
4: more local and international cross-border businesses. The latest monetary policy report by the Reserve Bank of Malawi indicates the country's official gross foreign exchange reserves in the first quarter of this year stood at 374.48 million US dollars, a drop from 429.17 million dollars. In the fourth quarter of last year. The report also says private sector foreign exchange reserves also declined from 425.52 million US dollars last year to 391.49 million US dollars this year. The situation has led to an acute shortage of foreign currency on the market, forcing foreign traders to hold or suspend some of their operations in Malawi. Mohammad Gaffa is the owner of Gaffa Travels, a ticketing agency and Gaffa Airlines which operates flights from Johannesburg to Europe. We are unable to issue tickets from Malawi going out to other countries but
3: uh, we are only issuing tickets from Malawi from our, our other offices like uh, we have a head office in the UK, we have an office in India, Pakistan, Dubai and Turkey where we are issuing tickets for
4: people traveling from malawi and until this forex issue is sorted uh, at the moment we're losing a lot of business in malawi last week ethiopian airlines and kenya airways suspended their ticketing system for local travel agents in malawi largely because of the shortage of foreign currency ethiopian airlines for example said in a statement that the move was because the Reserve Bank of Malawi has been unable to remit money to their accounts due to dwindling forex reserves. So passengers traveling from Malawi on these airlines now must buy their tickets from agents in other countries. Authorities say public hospitals are facing drug shortages because the government cannot procure essential medications. Victoria Mafuriwa is the general secretary for the Cross Border Traders Association of Malawi. She told a local radio station that the situation has inconvenienced their businesses. For example, as you may be aware,
0: Malawi does not manufacture packaging material. It has to be imported. For it to be imported, it has to be paid upfront. For it to be paid upfront, the forest must be available, which is not the case at the moment. And so you will see. That then impedes or it hinders the progress
4: and processes of every step in the operation of different different sectors. Bechani Chelen is the lecturer in economics at Malawi University of Business and Applied Sciences. He says the problem is largely because of the country's failure to produce more products for exports.
6: It's owing to our low export base, number one, and number two... The um, absence of donor uh, assistance, you might recall that the development partners, many of them, decided to go out of the country. And when that happened, um, it reduced the amount that is normally made available to the economy in, in
4: foreign exchange. The foreign currency problems comes at a time when Malawi's major export tobacco provides more than 60% of the foreign exchange earnings. Cherney says this year's tobacco exports give little hope of making up for the shortfall.
6: By the way, we are at the very beginning of the tobacco selling season, but the volumes are not that good. Uh, not many people went into the selling or the cultivation of tobacco this year, and also um, you might recall that the the storms that came they actually destroyed a lot of our tobacco and many other farm produce. So that meant that we cannot Um, realize as
4: much figures released this month from auction holdings limited group in malawi show that tobacco sales for the past five weeks have dropped by 78 percent compared to the same period last year winford Masanjala is the principal secretary for the department of economic planning in malawi he says the government is making an effort to address the foreign exchange shortages lamek masina for vua news Blanta, Malawi.
0: Now it's time for Daybreak Africa Sports and with that we go to Abuja in Nigeria with Samson Omale. Good morning to you, Samson. Good Monday morning to you
6: two, Jackson. We we'll begin the sports with the French Open as Tunisian tennis star Ernst Jaboa was an early casualty on the opening day of a French Open on Sunday in the French capital. Jaboa, seen as a potential champion this year, despite never having previously got past the fourth round, was the opening day's highest profile a casualty when she lost 3-6, 7-6, 7-4, 7-5 to Poland's 56th-ranked Magda Linette. Jaboa had won 17 clay court matches in the weeks before the French Open and became the first African to win a WTA 1000 event at the Madrid Open. Jaboa came into the event with a season-leading 17 wins on clay, the prestigious Madrid title, and a runners-up sport to world number 1 Iga Swantec in Rome. Shortly after her loss, Jabois described the defeat as disappointing. I was expecting myself to, to go far in this tournament, especially with the clay season starting very well for me. But, you know, that's tennis. I try to focus on uh, the positive and reflect a lot on this match. Um, first set was, was good enough for me. Uh, second set, I didn't have the opportunity to, to break her during the serve, which made, the, um, made it very difficult for me to, uh, to stay in the match. In basketball news, Zamalek, U.S. Monastery, Yaoundé FAP and Petro Duluanda have all qualified for the semi-finals of the Basketball African League following their crucial victories at the weekend. Tunisia's U.S. Monastery confirmed their last four tickets on Sunday after narrowly overcoming Cape Town Tigers of South Africa 106 to 67 points to make it two wins in a row, while Zamalek also maintained their perfect record with an effortless 66 46 win over Eslak on Saturday. FAP from Cameroon and Petro de Luanda were the first team to reach their knockouts. US Monastry will now meet Zamalek, one of the title favorites, while the other semifinals on Wednesday will see Petro de Luanda taking on FAP. The Basketball African League president, Amadou Gallo Fall, is excited over the quality of games played so far at the playoffs.
5: The competition on the court has been of top level. Engagements with our fans have gone up fourfold compared to last year. All in all, it's been a very, very positive experience.
6: And now to our projects. Where Eric Kiptenui and Stella Barasocio will lead other Kenyan marathoners at this year's Commonwealth Games, slated for July the twenty-eighth to August the eighth in Birmingham, United Kingdom, the team of eight marathoners are setting for themselves the target of winning the highest number of medals for Kenya. Paul Taggart, National Olympic Committee of Kenya president himself, a one-time marathon champion, is confident the marathon team will improve on their previous performance at the games. And that's it on Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, Jackson, in Washington. And that's it for this edition
0: of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending this morning with us. For more African news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook. Until next time, I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington, wishing you... A great week ahead, Africa.